Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci Advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice. The platform, the way it works, is always generating at least 10, if not hundreds of different antibodies per target. So there would be agonistic, antagonistic, different epitopes. And we go through the whole list and basically pick out those ones that survive the pre-screening before we go into a clinical development. And if we find more than one suitable candidate, then it's what we do, because then we can also exploit the target much more, and the target becomes in itself a platform. Hello, my name is Neil Canavan, and this is Benchtop Bios, a podcast series by LifeSite Partners, where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today, my guest is Dr. Martin Welshoff. He is the CEO of BioInvent International, and this is Benchtop Bio's J.P. Morgan Jump Off, a brief taste from the banquet of companies that will be attending 2023 J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. Martin, welcome to Benchtop Bio's Guten Tag. Thank you very much, and Guten Tag, Neil. <laughs> so, Martin, let's start off with the cliff notes. Give us the elevator pitch for BioInvent. Yes, happy to do so. So, I joined the company actually roughly a little bit more than four years ago, and I can already say that those four years have been very good four years. It's one of the relatively integrated companies in Europe, which means we have discovery around targets and antibodies. We do our own production and manufacturing and at the end of, of course, clinical development. And we are pushing ahead with a portfolio approach, a portfolio that we probably will discuss later a little bit more in detail, has been generated totally by the company. Currently, five clinical programs. Next year, second half, six clinical programs. So a lot of value generators. And that technology also that we come back to has been validated through a number of partnerships that we might discuss also at some time. All right, Martin, I want to give our listeners a bit of background on you. You're a little uncommon in the CEO world of life sciences in that you have a very deep training in the science that your company is doing. And I want to just review just a bit of that. You began your academic career in 1983 and your training at University of Bonn. And 11, what I have to assume, long years later, you had entered your postdoc at Heidelberg University in 1997. You then left academia, went to a bench-based work at a German-based company called Axaron Bioscience. Five years later, you moved to the Norwegian-based antibody-focused company, Apotech. You served there in multiple capacities, and that ended with uh, CEO. This is a total of nine years. Then CEO of Sana Therapeutics in Dublin for six years. You focused on immunology assets there. It's sort of right there in the name of the company. And then finally, the CEO role of BioInvent. This is in 2018. So after all that, my question is, which is better? You've got the CEO job at BioInvent. We have to consider everything. Or the postdoc from long ago where you concentrated 24-7, day after day, including holidays, on one thing. So I guess my question is, do you still envy those people at the bench? A simpler life? <laughs> Thank you, Neil. I actually enjoy both or have enjoyed both and still enjoying, of course, my CEO role. But I think my trigger point really to move into biotech was from academia 
I was always interested in applying research rather than doing basic research. And what you do in academia mostly is basic research, which of course is important, but my heart goes with applying research. And of course, especially now looking at BioInvent and you know, other companies are also smaller portfolios, in some cases only one asset, having uh, multiple assets. So currently uh, five clinical programs, four different compounds. That's a lot of fun. It's a lot of to juggle too, but it gives, of course, the company and myself a lot of strategic options. So at the end, probably I prefer that more than just focusing on one asset. But I think during the time I did that in academia, it was good. I enjoyed it. So I love to be a scientist, but I think I grew into a CEO role, which I also enjoy very much. Now on to the company at hand, BioInvent, and your foundational approach of, quote, functional first drug discovery End quote. Doctor, explain to the non-PhD, which is pretty much me, how does the discovery platform work? Yeah, so this is really at the core of the company and was also one of the factors why I joined more than four years ago. And it's very unique for BioInvent. It's a reverse screening, and I will try to explain it as simple as possible. So normally what you would do is you would have a target that you identify by genomics, functional genomics, or other means and then you build data around it and you start validating it, whether that could be suitable for therapeutic intervention. Mm-hmm. At BioInvent, we do it actually the other way around. That's why I call it a reverse screening. So we have a very close collaboration with the local hospital in Lund, where the company is based. And that gives us access to fresh patient material. In this case, that's our focus from cancer patients. And we screen directly on that fresh patient material. So we get it on a regular basis, sometimes several times a week. And it travels very short because it's a bike ride, basically. It takes five minutes and it is in the lab and we start screening. And we screen against our highly complex human antibody library, high quality, and then identify specific binders to the material of interest. And then before we even identify the target, we subject those antibody target combinations to a phenotypic screening. So basically what we want to filter out and focus us on are target and antibody combination that have strong therapeutic effects in a number of different animal models, and we have them all in-house, and then we identify the target. So basically the competitive advantage to you know the normal way, the non-reverse way, let's call it like this, is that we really screen directly on patient material. So we find stuff that is relevant in the context of disease. And we also make sure that whatever target we look at is basically in the in vivo situation. That means has the right configuration as it will have also later when we use the compound in therapy. So it's a reverse phenotypic screening with a strong functional component. And we can run this actually pretty high throughput. And that is unique to BioInvent. And we also have IP around the platform. All right, we're going to touch on IP a little bit later because there was a news item related to that. But first, I want to flesh out the platform. So the first drug I want to talk about is BI-1206. This is a drug that targets FC-gamma receptor 2, which is being investigated in two separate early-stage programs, one in Hodgkin's disease in combination with rituxan. The second is in a trial using your drug in combination with Keytruda. Now, related to that, there is a second asset. It's called BI-1607, but it seems to target the same molecule. Martin, could you explain the mechanism, why you're targeting it, and why are you using two drugs to do so? Yes, happy to do so. So the target FCGAMR2B is a very interesting receptor, and that's the only inhibitory receptor on cells of the innate immune system. So you would know 
CTLA4, PD1, those are checkpoints on cells of the adaptive immune system. And you have the same principle on cells of the innate immune system. So that would be dendritic cells typically. And FC-gamma-R2B is the only inhibitory one. And that's why it's a very interesting target. And the reason why, so we exploit it actually threefold. So first of all, I talk about 1206. So 1206, we use one we mentioned in non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And there actually the target, FC-gamma-R2B, is directly expressed on the tumoral B cell. So what we do there, we block a resistance mechanism to uh, anti-CD20-based therapy. At the same time point also, we engage, since our antibody 1206 is an IgG1 macrophages, so we kill also the uh, tumor B cell directly. In a solid cancer, we are targeting not solid cancer cells, but innate immune cells in the tumor microenvironment. Yeah, yeah? So that's only immune modulatory. And that's what we do when we work in combination with Ketruda. And of course, in both trials, we're enrolling patients who do not respond anymore either to anti-CD20-based therapy or to anti-PD-1 or anti-PD-L1-based therapy. So we're trying to in invigorate or reinvigorate response, which we already uh, could show actually uh, based on early data. And then 1607 is basically another version of 1206. This is a 1206 version without the possibility to engage with FC receptors. So like this, it has a completely different mode of action. Mm -hmm. It's a different flavor. And it also shows a little bit, and maybe later we talk about a little bit on uh, about TNF receptor 2, there we also have two compounds because the way we screen and, and the platform, the way it works is always generating at least 10, if not hundreds of different antibodies per target. So there would be agonistic, antagonistic, different epitopes. And we go through the whole list and basically pick out those ones that survive the pre-screening before we go into a clinical development. And if we find more than one suitable candidate, then it's what we do because then we can also exploit the target much more and the target becomes in itself a platform. Okay. That's uh, how we approach it. Now, of the three platforms or three programs, which is the farthest along, which has the nearest term catalyst? So the furthest along is BI-1206. That's the one that we started first. And maybe also to put that a little bit into context. So in 2018, when I joined, that program was in the clinic. And you can see, and I mentioned at the beginning that we have a high level of integration. So now after four years, or a little bit more than four years, we have almost six programs in the clinic, you know, all generated in-house. So it's actually rather quick and due to the integration that we have as a company. So back to 1206. So this is the most advanced. So there we have already shown proof of concept data, very long lasting, high quality responses in a patient population that do not respond anymore to anti-CD20 based therapy. And there we already endorse escalation, which means it's the part two of the phase one, two clinical trial. And we also, what we have done and that we also did in-house, we have developed a sub-Q version of that antibody. Currently, we're developing it IV. We're moving it now to sub-Q. And the next data point there will be during first half of next year, the first readout of the sub-Q version of 1206. Two more targets of interest in your pipeline are TNF-R2. You've already mentioned this. And CTLA-4. These targets are well-known in immunology. The two programs farthest along here are the TNF-R2 targeting drugs BI-1808, and the second is BT-001. Notice the difference here, BI and BT. There is a partnership here. The BT-1001 targets CTLA-4. These are both in early-stage testing for solid tumors. Again, sir, what's the nearest-term readout for these two programs? Yeah, so starting maybe with the TNF-receptor-2 program first. TNF-receptor-2 is actually a very interesting target. 
And I think a couple of years ago, not many companies and academic groups have worked around that target. It was known, but not so much in the context of immuno-oncology. In our screen, it popped out of ovarian cancer patient material as highly upregulated on T-regulatory cells in the tumor microenvironment. And we started that study early last year. And we have finished the dose escalation as a single agent. So we tested as a single agent as well as uh, in combination with Ketruda. And the single agent dose escalation is finished. And based on the data that we have seen so far, some first indication of responses, as well as, you know, no issues regarding tox. We said, okay, we go one dose higher to 1000 milligram. And the reason for that, probably everybody has heard about Project Optimus, dose finding, etc. So that's the time when you can do it. That's what we're doing now. But nevertheless, then already during first half of next year, we'll come out with the data of the single agent phase one part of the study. So that will happen during first half of next year. Then BT001, this is a combination with, or a joint venture rather, with Transgene. So they have a very interesting oncolytic virus platform. And we have a proprietary, very interesting anti-CDLA4 antibody that also popped out of our screen. And it's nicely differentiated to ipilimumab, which obviously is the one which is clinically approved. And in that sense, so we have the same, and we did head-to-head comparisons, same blocking activity as ipi does, but we have a very strong deregulatory cell depletion activity, much stronger than ipi. And there we're looking at the tumor uh, microenvironment. And it's, of course, important to deplete deregulatory cells because they inhibit the immune response to the cancer. So to cut a long story short here, so we were thinking since ipilimumab has toxicity issues, you can use it only as at a certain dose. It's very mm-hmm. efficacious. We thought we use a Trojan horse approach. So we put it into non-colytic virus that basically is used to infect solid tumor cells. So the solid tumor basically. And then, so our anti-CTLA-4 would be only produced in the solid tumor environment. And that's what mm-hmm. we could see in patients. And we published that also. So there's a very low systemic exposure, but a very high concentration in the solid tumor environment. And there we will go and also will announce some data also during first half of next year and then also start the uh, combination with Ketruda next year. That's the next milestone. But 1808 is more advanced than BT001. Excellent. And now as I mentioned earlier, there are two news items from just a few days ago, December 19th. The first regarding 1206. Doctor, what it was that announcement? Yeah, so around 1206, actually, and 1607. So we got a very strong composition of matter IP, which obviously is important. And that's what we always try to get. So when we look at our compounds, we always try to get composition of matter and then use claims. In this case, it was very strong composition of matter IP, which is actually quite important for us and, and also for our potential partners. All right. And now to wrap up, we need to talk about money. You're heading to San Francisco. A lot of people are going to be talking about money. What's your current runway, sir? We have a, based on current plans, we have a good runway. So we will go through 2025, probably into 2026 based on current plans. And this is due to the effect that we did a very successful financing this year, last year, and the year before. We have a very strong institutional shareholder base. So our largest shareholders, Red Mile, Omega, Inwards from the US, but then we also have HBM, Forbion, and uh, Setbank, Ubu, Handelsbanken, and also AXA as a new shareholder. So we have a very strong shareholder base. And based on that, we could raise a lot of funds that will support us into 2026. So given a comfort zone like that, what are conversations you're looking to have at JV Morgan, maybe around partnerships or other things? It's partnerships. And maybe in this context, I could also mention that we have quite a number of partnering 
done already. So around the platform, we did a very successful partner with Pfizer. We just signed a deal this year with Exelixis. And then we have antibodies in development with Daiichi, with Bayer, with Mitsubishi, Takeda, just to mention a few. So we always have a strong focus on BD. So that's one part of it. And then, of course, we want to update investors on our progress that we have made and also regarding key catalysts that are coming up next year. Splendid. Well, let's hope for good negotiations and above all, good weather. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. My guest today is Dr. Martin Welshoff. He is the CEO of BioInvent International. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. And I hope to see you and all of our listeners in San Francisco. Thank you very much, Neil. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of Lifesize Benchtop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to ncanada at lifesizeadvisors.com. Until next week then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.